Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Tony Holbein, the founder and CEO of Growblocks. Today, we'll be covering three main areas with Tony. First, the primary responsibilities of revenue operations. Number two, the primary measurements of revenue operations. And three, how to make revenue operations a strategic revenue growth accelerator. Tony, please take a moment to give a brief overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Wonderful. Thank you, Ray, for having me on the show. Well, I spent the last 10, 11 years in B2B SaaS, uh, really grew up through a FP&A revenue ops function back then when it actually wasn't called revenue operations yet, and actually then made it to all the way to zero. So it was basically the CRO owning all the different parts of the revenue engine, all marketing, all sales, all CS and revenue operations. And was that actually successful for two companies leading to two exits? So one like 150 million, the other one was like 200 million exit. And I've been uh, obviously extremely lucky to be part of part of those organizations, right? And I learned, I think, a bunch of things there. Um, and I found a lot of things that are potentially sometimes wrong when scaling those organizations and scaling those revenue engines. And I think one of those one of the things that uh, my co-founders and I realize is is kind of wrong is there's a lot of attention on financial planning and budgets and and and, and so forth. But the kind of the big flaw around all of those budgets is that they are really, really good at talking about how money is being spent, but are really weak on figuring out how money is made, right? And we at Growblox, we're basically fixing that right now. Well, your journey is kind of unique for most of my guests on the show. FP&A, revenue operations, CRO, and now a founder and CEO of your own B2B SaaS company, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. So... You're a great person then to ask this question, and that is RevOps versus FP&A. What's the primary difference when it comes to the planning responsibility? Yeah, I think FP&A, I mean, it's in the name, right? Planning is in the name and planning is not in the RevOps name. I think planning is still anchored with FP&A and probably most and or all organizations that we're talking to. I think the main difference is that uh, revenue operations brings a lot of understanding on the revenue side, a lot of understanding that sometimes simply is lacking for FP&A and is really able to support some of the planning pieces, especially around revenue. You know, I'm not talking about the cost side or, you know, balance sheet and P&L and taxes and, and, and lunch and stuff like that. It's really trying to figure out how are we going to create that revenue line item that the whole budget is being built up on? Are we going to be able to get to that, that revenue growth that, that we have promised the board? And how specifically are we going to get there? And in my experience, revenue operations, simply due to the fact of them understanding the revenue side much, much deeper, has like tremendous value add on the planning side. So that's that's where I see the difference sometimes. And I think revenue operations identifies a bit more with actually the revenue growth that comes out of it. FP&A, that's a planning function. Hey, you know, the revenue should go in this direction. But revenue operations is living with those commercial leaders and and living and dying also by the quarter. Uh, and I think that that is, that is sometimes a little bit of a difference. 
It's interesting. I look at FP&A often looking at historical performance data, right, to build a forward-looking plan, and they may use some capacity modeling to help build that forward-looking plan. But revenue operations, if done properly, has surfaced all the current and real-time data that best predicts what's going to happen next quarter and second quarter. Does that kind of resonate with you, Tony? Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of those methods are the same. You look at, you know, past trends and historic data and then, you know, model it forward. But you obviously overlay that also with, um, you know, how are each of these, you know, micro pieces being created? How are those opportunities being created? How are they coming in out of leads and marketing and piecing the whole funnel together, really end to end traffic to churn the whole revenue engine? And usually this is where I think, you know, FP&A and finance kind of stops is the revenue line item. How many costs do we have? So how many customers do we then need and how many opportunities is that? And that is just not the level of detail and the forward-looking approach that revenue operations can bring to the table. With, you know, just think about the responsibility that they have in terms of the tooling and the data across, you know, go-to-market and using that effectively for forward-looking planning. I think this is still a piece of the puzzle that in many companies is kind of not used and undervalued. Yeah, it's funny. I have a theme going on with the Metrics Major podcast for the next 30 days, and that is revenue operations, strategic function or tactical department. And you put a frame on this. It's a little bit different, and that's their value in helping with the ongoing planning and prediction process using more kind of granular insights of data. But let me ask you this question. If you were trying to create a strategic revenue operations function that had a seat at the executive table and really helped guide the strategic decisions that drove revenue growth, what are the top three responsibilities that you'd give to a RevOps leader? What does he or she have to do? Yeah, I think, you know, top three responsibilities, RevOps, I think when anyone hears that, it's immediately, well, it's data, it's process, it's tools. I, I don't think it's wrong. I think this is the start. I think this is how people think about RevOps and how they first create that budget line item and say like, hey, we need someone. But the trick really is to take all of that, all of that insight, all of that understanding and becoming a full end-to-end expert of the revenue engine, right? And why, why are revenue operations so great at becoming that? Well, they're usually tasked with rolling out those tools and those processes. In order to do that, they need to talk to all of those stakeholders. They need to understand how this whole thing actually works and then they piece it together on the tooling side. And what we've seen, uh, what many you know very successful organizations are doing, that they're, they're looking at that talent, they're realizing, hey, there's someone that understands the full engine end to end, and is kind of impartial in their approach. Instead of only using those experts to roll out tools properly, why don't we actually use them to do a higher level stuff, right? Why you know why don't we actually use them to potentially think about revenue planning, right? We just talked about that, but really you know, include them in into the revenue planning process and help them as a, as a supplement in some of the stuff that FP&A and finance is obviously trying to achieve, right? And my big question as a CEO was always, and I was always terrified, all the things that I'm planning to do, all the hires, all the improvement projects, everything that's going on in marketing, everything that's going on in CS and product, how is all of that adding up to the revenue number that, I, that I'm, you know, holding my neck out for, right? And that simply is a planning piece that doesn't exist. It's usually in a spreadsheet and usually kind of really kind of hidden away. Uh, revenue operations can really add a ton of value, right? And and step number two really here is, well, okay, now that you have this revenue plan, you understand how this whole thing hangs together. I think RevOps can be the, you know, let's call it the mission control of that revenue plan. And, and driving that not through dashboards and stuff, I think that's important, 
but really having you know monthly and quarterly business reviews with your commercial leaders, with a CEO, with a CFO, you know, creating a scorecard for that commercial organization and using that to be forward looking instead of being, uh, hey, VP sales, you missed the target by 10%. That's not interesting. That's not value adding. That doesn't get you the seat at the table. What does is to say, hey, what we need to change for to hit Q3, those three things. Uh, do we have a couple of other things that we could maybe change because we have a gap of 50,000, I don't know, euros, MRR, dollars, MRR. And, and here are three ways to fix that, right? That is, I think, what is valuable to have in a, in a you know, doesn't need to be the board, but in C-level and on the VP level on your commercial engine for sure, right? I love it. We created this revenue operations framework where we have kind of data as the foundational level, the pyramid of value, yeah. then it's platform and process automation, then it's reports, but at the very top are insights and advice. Because at the end of the day, my perspective is the reason that you're doing all this foundational work is to provide better insight into what's going to happen in the future and being that kind of strategic mouthpiece for your CRO. Does that resonate with you? 100%, right? And, uh, you know, as an anecdote to this is always, everyone is always, you know, crying about data quality. It's like, ah, you know, this doesn't work out and, you know, this is missing and let's, I don't know, let's ask our AEs to do another checkbox on, on this pipeline stage. I think what's sometimes getting lost there is what is the reason? You know, why why are we collecting this data? Is it is it just because we think we might use it at some point? Or is there some insight, some valuable piece that helps us make better decisions tomorrow? And if it's not the latter, then you should actually just skip all of that stuff altogether and make it easier for your reps instead. Um, but what many then RevOps folks have trouble with is, okay, now we have that data. What are we going to use with that? You know, what are we going to do with that? How are we going to use that for the future? Sure, let's create some insights and reports and some, you know, you know, traffic light system and so forth. But you can just take it so much further than that, right? And I think this is if you get to that point and that connected with, you know, full end-to-end -end understanding of your funnel, you know, having that, you know, I as a CEO always saw it as my, uh, you know, I hope this is not, um, you know, going the, but basically as a sidekick in those in those VP sessions with my VP sales, VP marketing, VP CS. To understand, hey, you know, what, what is the impact going to be if we do X versus that, right? And have someone else in the room that has a full understanding of the revenue engine is impartial, not trying to optimize for those different silos and actually helps you make the better decision and also helps you to guide that conversation sometimes with the VP of sales, with the VP of marketing, with the VP of CS. So, Tony, the, the nice thing about a podcast is we can have great theory here and talk about the way it should be. But the reality for operators like you and I, it's different when you're kind of the rubber hits the road, so to speak. Yeah. Your RevOps function is just dragged down with all these tactical reactive things, data quality issues, lack of integration between the marketing automation and the CRM, et cetera. So how do you go about ensuring that revenue operations doesn't get pulled down into that tactical, I'll call it data monkey work, instead of being that executive advisor at the table? Yeah. In reality, this is a difficult thing to cover, right? And I think it, it does start with, unfortunately, it does start also with the size of your team. You need to be able to have some of that work be outsourced to people that are maybe a little bit more junior, that maybe are enjoying that task. And this is maybe the, the level that they want to go to for that point of time, right? What you as a revenue operations leader should be doing is to obviously organize that, you know, make sure that there's a clear purpose behind the tools and how they work together, that there's a clear purpose in terms of the data collection, but then really using that insight to leverage that going forward. 
And again, you know, some teams are literally creating functions called uh, go-to-market strategy, revenue strategy. Those are teams that basically do exactly that, right? They take all the insights and inputs and understanding that they have of the revenue engine and leveraging that to kind of look forward. And once you have that function established, I think it will change the way you actually think about revenue growth. I think a lot of financial models out there actually are foundational, almost set up in the wrong way in terms of thinking, hey, every you know, quarter for an E should be four to five times OT. That, that is a start, right? Otherwise, it's not going to work out. But in that sense, it's almost the, the cart in front of the horse because that's not how quota setting really works. It's, it's, it's an outcome and the other piece is an efficiency driver. And then you have, hey, everyone has 1 million in, in AI and quota, and then you stack it on top of each other, times productivity, and you have a revenue line item, right? Someone from revenue operations and understanding of the whole engine can probably help you to figure out why there's a whole funnel, you know, from traffic to leads to opportunities, and that is creating so much supply, if you will, right? And this is then opportunities times conversion rate times ACV and so forth. And how much quota do I actually need to stack against that? Do I need those 50 reps or is 40 maybe enough or maybe 30 is enough and maybe they get to 1.2 million instead? And I think this insight, uh, if you have the right person in revenue operations, I think this is, this is something that uh, they will be able to deliver. And, you know, frankly, we'll only be able to do that if some of the lower level tasks distributed in AT. It's interesting. I've been able to host some of the, I think, some of the most strategic and best revenue operations leaders in the industry. And one, Allison Elthworthy is the EVP of RevOps at HubSpot. And then Scott Sutton, who runs RevOps at Zoom Info. And this is a couple of things they do, which I found really interesting. So Allison actually has a voice of the customer team. And those voice of the customer resources spend time with the customer, understanding their experience across the entire life cycle from the acquisition process to the retention yeah. expansion. And then they provide the feedback mechanism to the internal kind of operations processes to optimize them. And then Scott at ZoomInfo, what he does is he has product managers within RevOps. And that product manager owns the product of sales development or marketing or direct sales. And their job is to watch and analyze how efficient and effective each of those functions are and to come back and say, this is what we as revenue operations can do to improve their efficiency and effectiveness. So I wondered if either of those resonate with you. So, so they totally do. I think some go a little bit further than what I've seen and uh, what I'm kind of talking to uh, most of those RevOps folks out there. I think what, what it also shows, though, is RevOps is not this system admin role anymore, right? I mean, when you talk about this, and I love that he called them uh, product managers for those different functions, you know, you clearly now give even a name and a title to that role that has very little to do with that association of an admin or something like that, right? I mean, those are, you know, cutting edge experts in that specific area that go out to the actual teams, have an understanding of what they're doing, talking to them figuring out where they're struggling, where they're dropping off. For some of that, they obviously need to use data and insights. For some of that, they need to talk to folks, right? And what does that remind you of? Well, it reminds me of a product manager. You know, that's why I absolutely love that comparison. I started using that actually sometimes that product management and revenue operations. When you first hear about it, it seems like two completely different ideas, but they're, you know, quote unquote, just optimizing for a different customer, one inside the organization, one outside of it. And I can, I can clearly see how that is something that um, is super impactful if you're able to install that in the organization. But also, 
this clearly shows, I mean, you won't be able to do that with just, you know, a head of revenue operations and a one-man army and, you know, go do that, right? So that's that's not going to be enough. No. And it also takes real commitment from, if you're a smaller company, from the CEO or the larger company, from the CRO that says, revenue operations is my strategic partner, and they have not only a seat at the table, but the resources they need. But there's one other thing. This is the Metrics That Major Up podcast. What are the metrics? And I'm going to limit you to five, Tony. What are the five lagging indicators, performance metrics that you think a revenue operations leader believes that she or he co-own with the CEO, CFO, or CRO? I think number one, and I'm not sure if I'm going to get to five that really are super important. I'm a big, big fan of leading indicators and, you know, much more fun talking about some of that actually. But revenue operations owns the revenue number, period. It's a little bit like, you know, your CRO, and we can talk about, well, most CROs are maybe only leading sales and maybe CS, only fewer are leading the whole revenue function. But at the end of the day, you want to have that function to own the whole revenue side. And revenue operations is an add-on to that, right? And I think their mindset has to be owning revenue, both newbies coming in through sales, but also upsell, churn, and the whole thing, right? And I think then the other really important piece, and we could go into... LTV and CLTV and CLTV ratios and, and, and all of that stuff. One of my favorite lagging metrics is actually CAC payback, customer acquisition cost payback, period. No gross margin adjustment, no, no collusion of all the different things that could go wrong. And really what, what I really love to look into is, is usually to break it down into the different revenue streams, inbound, outbound partners, upsell and so forth, uh, but also, you know, split it into a different regions. And, you know, once you have that granularity, what you will be able to see is where are my pockets that are performing better or worse than others. And then revenue ops can actually make decisions like, hey, if you want to increase your uh, decrease your CAC payback, you could actually achieve that by reallocating resources. You take stuff from the expensive bucket, put it in the cheaper bucket, for example. Right. And the beauty is the beauty is there's, you know, when it goes wrong, there are only so many things that can be the reason for that. Instead of you go really high up, and this is usually what all of those investors are really like, uh, you know, gross margin adjusted customer lifetime value, you know, a thousand things can go wrong to pull this number into one or the other direction. With customer acquisition cost payback, it's usually, I mean, it's still a big number, by the way, but it's usually much more compartmentalized and, and therefore also much more actionable. I love CAC payback period. And I love the, the fact that you said people should do that on a more granular basis whether that's source of the opportunity or or even based upon customer segment, enterprise versus mid-market or region of the world. Yeah. Why do you think the majority, and I'm talking 80% plus of B2B SaaS companies, aren't doing that level of analysis by channel, by source, by cohort? Yeah, I think number one, they're sometimes overcomplicating it. It's like, oh, you know, everything needs to be perfect on the attribution side. Otherwise, we can't use it. Sorry, RevOps doesn't make any sense to me. And then I think, and this is probably not for any listener here because everyone here is super sophisticated, you know, they might not know how to actually calculate it. Once you have, uh, let's just say you have different channels and all of them leading into one account executive team. So how do you split this thing up now, right? How do you distribute the cost? How do you actually... And you know what? Once you ask the question, someone thinks about it for 5, 10, 15 minutes, and then they kind of get the answer. But surprisingly often, what I've seen is that that is sometimes the hurdle that people need to jump over to realize, oh, wow, I can do that. And obviously, then you can get really fancy and even break it down into your different lead types and 
marketing channels and you know direct versus social and so forth. Um, but that is that is optimization stuff that's much further out in, in most cases. We're going to go into what I think I heard you say, one of your favorite topics, and that's leading indicators, the yeah. thing that directly not only impact but can predict the lagging indicator outcome. So you talked about CAC payback period as one of your favorite lagging indicators. Are there a few input leading indicators to CAC payback period that you think, and this is where you really need to focus if you want to compress your CAC payback period? So let me let me kind of take one step back, really focusing first on the revenue side and leading indicators. So why why is it actually that I like leading indicators so much? Well, number one, the frequency is simply higher, right? Especially if you think closing business and closing customers, sometimes that's very backloaded towards the end of the quarter. And you usually just have a make or break kind of day and then you judge and then you move on. If you have a leading indicator, you can actually see leads and opportunities roll in daily and weekly. You can have a clear expectation how much that should be. And then you can course correct much quicker, right? And actually, when you see that some of those leading indicators are trailing off, you still have, you know, in many cases, a month or two or three to either fix and course correct or to stakeholder manage upward and be like, oh, oh, I think this is not going to work out, right? And uh, so then really for sales, I mean, it's, you know, whatever flavor you like in terms of opportunity creation. You know, it could be qualified opportunities, accepted opportunities, level two opportunities, whatever it is you use, that is that is something that you can actually have as a daily heartbeat that you can monitor. I have it usually, you know, going through Slack and then we celebrate and it's both outbound and inbound and partners and so forth, right? I think that is an extremely healthy one to monitor. And I think then the on the marketing side is a little bit more fluff and, and difficult sometimes. But what I really like to look at is actually value traffic, value traffic that converts to high intent outcomes, right? And if you want to break it down and, you know, I'm not a marketing expert by any means, but it's really direct traffic and branded search traffic. So people that know you, people that know what problem that you're solving, you want to have them come to your website, convert to a demo or a trial or something like that. And that specific piece of traffic and of those leads they will convert really nicely throughout the rest of your funnel. And if you see that branded search and direct traffic is flat over the last couple of months and or even year, uh, you will see that a lot of you know less value traffic is going to be pushed in by the marketing team in order to make up for that, right? And, and that number needs to kind of increase as your revenue targets increase. Otherwise, it's going to be really difficult eventually. So the on the on the CS side, it's a little bit more difficult. It depends very, I mean, it's simply not churn and upsell, period, as a leading indicator and depends very much on your product, your business, what makes sense there. But actually on the, on the let's just say, the more nerdy side, uh, and it's also really much an efficiency uh, metric, sales cycles. I think sales cycles is one of the most underused, underutilized efficiency metrics throughout your revenue engine. And, and you know, it, it took me a while before, before it made click for me, but basically when you really compare it, right? If you have a sales cycle, this is uh, just one month versus one year, Right, it basically means with the same resource you can close twelve deals versus one deal, and then sure there's ACV and you know they do things in parallel. But if you're able to cut down your sales cycles by you know a week or two or three, that in some cases can be a, a massive efficiency gain. And people are optimizing too much sometimes for conversion rates, you know, because that's obviously the efficiency go to. I think many people are forgetting about sales cycles. Those are good ones. So I'm going to ask you one last question because unfortunately we're coming to the end of our time already. But you've been, you know, FP&A, RevOps, CRO, now CEO. If a B2B SaaS CEO came to you and said, hey, Tony, 
what do I need to do to make sure my revenue operations, I'm just going to make a hire to let him or her be successful? What's your advice to them? How do you ensure your revenue operations investment provides a positive return? Yeah. So I think it has to do a lot with your mindset. And if your mindset is, hey, I just need a sophisticated system admin, I think then it's simply not going to be a success in that role. If your mindset is, hey, I need a, a revenue expert, a full funnel expert to come in that is not necessarily a salesperson or marketing person to help me you know, straighten things out, make them efficient, highlight what's going wrong, where and when, I think that is going to be a big leading indicator for, for that person to be successful and add value to you. So it's really how you angle that person, especially if you're the CEO, how you angle that revenue operations higher is probably very indicative of uh, the, the impact that that person is going to have on the organization. I totally agree. It's almost like if you hire a CRO for the first time and you combine, let's say it's sales and CS or sales marketing and CS, it's the air cover and the commitment to the integration of those three organizations that leads to success. Same thing with revenue operations. If you position it as a strategic revenue accelerator, I think they're going to be viewed very differently by the organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Let's give the listening audience a chance to get to know Tony a little bit better through three quick questions. And the first is, is there a CEO or company that you think is a must follow for a B2B SaaS founder CEO today? Yeah. So I, I, I must admit, I'm a little bit of a fanboy of Chris Walker and Refine Labs. He is doing and the company is doing a fantastic job educating the market on how to think about marketing. And, you know, I'm again, as I said, I'm not an original marketing guy and it never really made sense to me listening to him and uh, his views some of that obviously is on the on the fringe end of of things which is obviously his uh, you know uh, positioning uh, but it really helped me make you know have this aha moment on marketing so i can really just recommend everyone you know listening to that and not getting lost in the paid search you know cpc game but really kind of thinking a little bit differently Tony, i'm so glad you said chris at refine labs it's we're recording this podcast and it's october 25th and chris just made a post this morning about dark social and how to measure the efficacy of the investments you're making in social media, podcasts, et cetera, that aren't always 100% directly attributable through attribution models. So I totally agree. I think that's a great one. Second question, what application, not your own, should every SaaS company be using? It can be a category or a particular product. Yeah, I think this is a boring one. I'm sorry for that, but uh, Gong. I'm a really, really big fan of Gong.io. And sure, you know, first time I bought it was for the sales team. And that was a cool idea. And now building my own company and we are 30 people. We, we started to have Gong when we were like five folks. Sure, we had some sales, some CS going on like super early days. But the main application there was actually product development and design and product marketing. Kind of listening into those calls, understanding what's going on, not having that through the filter of, you know, this untrustworthy CEO. Uh, that was extremely helpful. And, uh, you know, this is a little bit of an earlier stage pitch that I'm making here. It's really, uh, it helps your organization to learn so much from your customers. It's insane. Tony, that is a great piece of advice. Amit Bendoff, who's the founder and CEO, was on the Metrics of Asia podcast. And he talked about the transitioning from conversational intelligence to revenue intelligence. And it's interesting. He said exactly what you said, that the product team's getting as much benefit from conversational intelligence as sales teams are today to yeah, hear real-time feedback from the market. Okay, last question. You're talking to a soon-to-be college graduate or a recent college graduate, and they want to be like a B2B cloud founder. What advice do you give them right now 
at 21, 22 years old. Yeah. So obviously, you know, number one, I believe in everyone achieving, achieving anything that they want. So, so go for it. But, and maybe this is a big but, number two is spend some time in the industry, learn the ropes, understand how this whole thing is actually working. There's a lot of stuff to understand and to learn. And once you're in it, I think the problems that you will be coming across might be very valuable problems. And if you figure out a way to fix those, plus you have an understanding of how to think about product market fit, how to scale an organization, how maybe even talk to VCs, you know, you're going to be so much better equipped to take that problem and solve it and build something valuable here for society. Uh, instead of just jumping in, you know, trying to figure it out, that, that would be my advice. That's a great advice. I want to thank you, Tony, for being a guest on the Metrics Measure Up podcast. And for our listeners who want to maybe continue the discussion or learn more from you, how do they reach you, Tony? So you can just follow me on uh, LinkedIn and to reach out. Actually, uh, Mikkel and I is one of my coworkers. We're having also a podcast. Happy to welcome you on that show as well, Ray, by the way, and anyone else that is listening. And yeah, I think this is how you can stay in touch. Great. Well, Tony, founder, CEO of Growblocks, thank you so much for being our guest. And to our listening audience, if you're enjoying the guests and the content we're covering here on the Metrics Major Up podcast, it would mean the world to us. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and give us that five-star rating and provide us a recommendation how we can make the show even better. Tony, thank you very much. Ray, thanks a bunch. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.